Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. I've just gotten to be so lazy. Like, half the time, my lunch is a hot dog that I put in the air fryer because that's literally the easiest thing to do with it because air fryers are the best invention ever. And then I just use a piece of bread. I don't bother with buns. I just, I haven't had a hot dog on the bun, like, probably, like, in a year. (laughs) (laughs) I, I literally make, like, a ham or turkey or peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like, every day for lunch for work. Nice. I literally have the same like breakfast and lunch pretty much every single day of oh the my week. Goodness. Like all I eat is really? oatmeal in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'll have a sandwich for lunch and then dinner time is where I'm like, I'm gonna spice it up and do something different. But like <laughs> Oh, that's great. Nah. And I don't mm-hmm. bake anymore. I do not bake. Really? Yeah. Like I've made brownies for myself mm-hmm. like three times since I moved into my apartment. Yeah. But even then, like, it takes me forever to eat them because I live alone. So I just don't bake. (laughs) That is true. It's yes, that is definitely something I took advantage of when I was living with roommates and working. Like, Mm -hmm. because anytime I didn't want to finish something or anytime I like actually realized I wouldn't be able to finish it in time, I'd just take it to the office. I'd be like, okay, roommates, eat this. Yeah. (laughs) Granted, my brother-in-law will eat anything, but... Still, it's a lot sometimes, so I just, yeah. No, I would bake all the time in Florida, but it was always because I was like, if I'm baking, there is an understanding in this house mm-hmm. that you all are eating whatever I'm baking. Yes. Like, it's not just for me. Y'all are eating it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would bake, like, every couple of weeks, bake something different. Yeah. I ain't baking at all. And even <laughs> my, even me baking is, like, brownie mix baking. I'm not doing the, like, big-ass <laughs> baking that I used to. It's still baking. (laughs) I went to Walmart like the other night at like 9 p.m., which is saying something because I do like to be home by 8 um, just so I can make brownies. And I bought like five mixes. That's where all my money goes these days. Nope. I'm super lazy. I'm not doing any of that anymore. Half the meals I make here are like already like packaged, like with pasta and veggies and chicken already in it. So I literally just dump it on the stovetop. I'm like, all right, cook. (laughs) Like that's it. That is it. I've got to be so lazy. See, I still will like cook. Like I still cook, cook. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's. I just don't bake. I think making brownies from a box mix was the most work I've done. Like, it's that or a frozen pizza. Like, I can't. That that's it. (laughs) Okay, can I tell you like the weirdest thing about living alone right now? Mm -hmm. For me, at least, I have bought pasta twice i have only bought two boxes (laughs) of pasta in the four months that i've lived alone i used to have like boxes upon boxes upon boxes of pasta in my apartment in florida Mm -hmm. two that's it i'm not eating pasta like i'm not doing it anymore I'm not going to lie. I'm not I'm not as much of a pasta person as I used to be because that's all I eat in college because it's super cheap. And yeah. you just get like a can of sauce and dump it in there and call it good. If I'm going to have any kind of pasta or like mac and cheese, it's got to be uber fancy for me to be willing to eat it. 
So like usually like stuffed tortellini or something. And I mean, I have, I obviously am making rice. I would say like at least once a week I'm making rice. Definitely a staple. But like, I'm just shocked and mystified by the fact that I'm not eating pasta. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All I ever did Uh. (laughs) was eat pasta beforehand. (laughs) I'm like, who am I? I mean, you know, you go through phases, you know? So like for a while I did like those overnight oats for like two months. And then I was like, nah, I am done. I ate so much pasta in college. Like I'd buy it. I'd, I'd be buying a box like every month, minimum sometimes. Now I know I bought pasta a while ago, like last year, but I don't know where it is. I just know I haven't used it. But I have gone through so many of Walmart's stuffed crust buffalo style pizza because that is so good. It's like five, six dollars. It is so good. I'm not kidding. Like, I don't know who I am. I have not purchased a single (laughs) frozen dinner of any kind since I moved into my apartment. Literally nothing. I mean, that's impressive. That's good. But like the frozen meals at Trader Joe's are so great. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm literally (laughs) buying like I'm buying meat and I'm buying Mm. vegetables. That is so good, though. You're doing really good. And I, and I buy a lot of cheese too. Like, like I'm being a responsible adult and I don't even know how this happened. So responsible. You, you're in an adult job now. You're living like an adult. You're, you're doing adult things. You're just excelling. Suddenly I live alone you're... and I'm a whole new person. I'm like a brand you new are. person <laughs> who's like, I can cook every single day and I don't need a frozen meal because oh I can make goodness. something that tastes better. Like, I don't know who I am. I sometimes I feel like I've got this adulting thing down and other times I definitely don't um which I did not expect as a kid because I thought like once you start adulting you can always adult and that's just not the case (laughs) and nobody told me it's so funny because we all thought that like adults had it together when we looked at them like when we were Mm -hmm. like teenagers we were like I can't wait to be like in my 30s or my 40s where like right. I have my life together and I know what I'm doing with my life like I just can't wait to have it all together little did we realize that 30 and 40 year olds had no idea what they were doing they were making it up as they went along and fooling all of us and I can't even fool the youth like I can't even go up to the youth in my ward and be like yeah I have it together because they'll look at me and be like you're lying <laughs> Like, we know that you're an anxiety and depression riddled monster that doesn't know what's going on with their life. Like, and we don't even know you, but we can just feel it coming off of you. The energy. It's the vibe you give off. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm still a mess. I don't really have it together. I just look like I have it together on paper because I have a good job and I have my own apartment now. That's it. And you're feeding yourself. (laughs) Feeding myself. And you've got a podcast that has not fallen apart yet. <laughs> I have a podcast with eight loyal followers, so yay, pretty good. I guess you could say I'm thriving. Amen. <laughs> Speaking of podcast, we should actually uh, get into today's episode. Hey, that's what we came here for. Yeah, so we're gonna start out with um, corrections corner. Mm-hmm. So I have two things for Corrections Corner this week because I had mentioned them in the podcast that I was going to look them up. So the first one is the Young Women's Theme. I misquoted it 
in our discussion of Renlin's Heavenly Mother talk, the young women's theme now starts, I am a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and eternal destiny. So it still says heavenly parents, plural, but I just wanted to make sure that we got the correct quote. So Okay. Yeah, that a divine nature and eternal destiny, that got updated as well after we graduated, I think. That whole thing got updated after I graduated. Whole thing is different for me. Do they do they still count the values? I didn't read the whole thing, oh. so I can't tell you. <laughs> I just read the first part. Also, <laughs> virtue was not in there when I was in Young Women. Okay, I think that was my last year. I think that was my last year. So I never bothered to memorize it because I was like, I'm almost out of here. No. Nope. So, or yeah, around that time. Anyways. Yeah. My theme is completely different from this. That's enough. We're good. Okay. <laughs> right. So the other one was, remember how we talked about, well, we didn't really talk about it because we said we were in a phase of healing. So we weren't going to talk <laughs> about Oaks's talk. So you're not correcting ourselves, but you're correcting him. Well, I'm correcting ourselves too, because I did say that general authorities have said in the past that policies change as the needs of the members change. I said that. So I was like, I will bring the receipts next week. Yes. So here are the receipts. Bring them. Receipt number one comes from Elder Ronald E. Pullman from the October 1984 General Conference. He says, quote, Procedures, programs, and policies are developed within the church to help us realize gospel blessings according to our individual capacity and circumstances. Under divine direction, these policies, programs, and procedures may be changed from time to time as necessary to fulfill gospel purposes, end quote. Quote number two, this one is from Gospel Freaking Topics, titled, What is the Difference Between Church Policy and Doctrine? So everyone should be reading up on that. Elder Suarez said, quote, changes in policies is not something new. It has happened since the beginning. The Savior changed policies, and he entitled prophets and apostles to change the policies according to the needs. End quote. Then, in a face-to-face event with him, Elder Suarez, and Elder Christensen of the Seventy, Elder Christensen followed up with this question and said, quote, These rich doctrines of the Church, meaning the doctrine of Christ, the Atonement, repentance, baptism, etc., are never going to change. They will be consistent throughout time, and they have been since the beginning. The policies are there to enhance our experience, enhance our worship, and help us adapt to the times in which we live. There are many in the scriptures that I would consider policy changes. For example, we no longer sacrifice of the firstling of our flocks. The Savior put an end to that policy and wanted us to point to the great and eternal sacrifice that he gave for all of us. So there's been changes in the way that we apply the doctrine throughout history. The Lord authorizes his servants, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve, to make those changes, end quote. So that's three receipts on policies change as the needs of the members change. And uh, that's the end of my corrections corner for the day. Well, good job with the receipts. I appreciate it. And I think your listeners do as well. I don't have anything of note, so fingers crossed I don't forget anything. 
But I will go ahead and share a quick announcement. Woohoo! Yes, um, before we dive into our episode, we wanted to let you know that we'll be doing another book club episode. Yeah! So we hope you really enjoyed our first one about queer Mormon theology with Blair Osler. And so we want to let you know we will now be doing another one. Um, so we love doing our first one and we would love to do another live book club discussion for our next book. So the next book we're reading is going to be a Mormon romance. Because why not? <laughs> We've been laughing yeah. about it all week. So join us as we read Lies Jane Austen Told Me by Julie Wright. And that is W-R-I-G-H-T, Wright. So we will give you a quick description of this book for those of you who are like Tracy and have never read or been introduced to Mormon romance novels. Never. I don't understand that, to be honest. They're called proper romances <laughs> on Deseret Book. Proper, proper. romances. Proper. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Have you been reading improper romances, Tracy? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm a normal <laughs> red-blooded American. Duh. Oh my gosh. Oh, we, I'm going to have so much to talk about when we read this. Would you like me to read the description or would you Please like to read do. it? Please do. Please do it for us, Tracy. <laughs> I'll do a dramatic reading. Okay. Yes. This is Lies Jane Austen Told Me by Julie Wright. Ever since Emma read Pride and Prejudice, she's been in love with Mr. Darcy and has regarded Jane Austen as the expert on all things romantic. So when it turns out that what her boyfriend Blake wants is more of a hookup than a honeymoon, Emma is hurt, betrayed, and furious. She throws herself deeper into work as CMO of Kinetics, only to find her job threatened when her boss brings in a consultant to help her expand the business to the East Coast. Her frustration turns to shock when that consultant turns out to be Blake's younger brother, Lucas. <gasps> Emma is determined not to fall for Lucas. But as she gets to know him, she realizes that Lucas is nothing like her brother. He is kind and attentive and spends his time and money caring for the less fortunate. But as perfect as Lucas seems, he clearly has his secrets. After all, there's an angry woman demanding money from him. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't keep going. You're doing so good. Sorry. Deep breath. And a little girl who Lucas feels responsible for. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. Go on. You're so close. Go on. Realizing that her love life is as complicated as anything Jane Austen could have dreamed up, Emma must figure out the truth, and soon, if she wants any hope of writing her own happily ever ender, happily ever after ending, <laughs> and scene. Beautiful. Well done. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, you can buy this from Deseret. I got it severely discounted because I bought like a ton of other Deseret book material like three years ago. And uh, these are fun. Like I grew up reading these. I, I mean, I grew up on romance, like clean romances and Jane Austen because, you know, so <laughs> I'm not defending this or anything. I'm just giving you guys context and it's going to be great. So we really hope that you guys will join us. This book is also available on um it's available on thriftbooks.com, Amazon, 
And you might be able to find it in the library because I was able to find it in my library too. I looked it up online. So again, if this sounds like something you would enjoy reading and discussing with us, please sign up on our Google form. The link is going to be in our Instagram bio and we'll be making a post on our social media accounts with the link to it as well. We are planning to record the episode the week of June 5th through the 11th, and then the episode will drop on June 15th. So sign up ASAP and join our fun. My reading of the description should be an indicator enough to you guys that we are not taking this book seriously at all. We can't take romances in general seriously, I think, at this point in our lives. <laughs> no. We <So>. also <laughs> will not be inviting the author of this book to join our discussion. So if you're worried about making a shady comment while the author is in <laughs> attendance, do not worry. They won't be there. We will be making a bunch of shady and snarky comments the entire time. So join us for a fun night of um it should be fun. Of reading. So, anyone is welcome to join. Keep an eye out for our link on social media to join us if you'd like to. We are thrilled to be new members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dialogue, Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. So check it out. So now let's, uh, let's move into the episode for today. Hey, the real topic for today. So today, as you can tell from our title and from our conversation so far, it's going to be a funky episode. Unlike a lot of the other ones that are, you know, based on doctrine and more church things, we want to do things that are not church things. We're exploring things, people, places, whatever, that vibe is LDS related or seem Mormon, even though they technically aren't. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't. One way or another, though, they seem pretty Mormonish, and we want to kind of like dive in, talk about them, laugh about them, so on. So we put together a list of our own. We didn't really use anyone else's. So if you agree with us or don't, totally fine. We would love to get your thoughts afterward, though. And hopefully we've put together something fun for this episode. Yeah. If you really want to be entertained after today's episode, just go to Google and type in the search bar is blank Mormon. Fill in the blank with anything you want. Anything. And honestly, the results for just about everything are hilarious. Like, that's what I did to research this week's episode. And it brought me really? so much joy typing all of that stuff into the search bar. Like, wait, that works. Oh my God. All I did is I, t <laughs> I typed in, I'll do one example because we're going to talk about no. it anyways. I typed in our vans Mormon, like the car van, our vans uh -huh. Mormon. And yeah. the results that I got were so fantastic literally just do that it'll entertain you for hours no i literally just put in first thing that came to mind is ghostbusters mormon i'm getting so many funky things trend releases ghostbusters tribute video for halloween ghostbusters has roots in early spiritualism lds group song inspired by ghostbusters is a perfect jam ghostbusters versus the mormon ghost so yeah anyways that's what we're going to be talking about today so Feel free to research some stuff on your own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So let's go ahead and start with a very basic one, Disney. Mm-hmm. Disney. It's not Mormon. The company is not Mormon and it has no Mormon roots, but it seems so Mormon. And especially there's so many Disney Mormons. My family is very much one. And I, okay, I, dec- I guess I would call myself one. I do have like merch and stuff and I would go to the parks, but like I'm not as obsessed about it as I used to be. I got it out of my system by working for the company like twice. So makes sense. But I will definitely watch just about any movie especially Encanto like anytime okay so diving in I think everyone associates Disney with Mormons because of its whole wholesome family entertainment it's very clean it's very wholesome it's you know movies music tv shows Disney parks and everything like everyone has like such high standards that they have to keep to and the fact that they actually started allowing beards and I think some are tattoos allowed to show now yeah so that's that's huge and that's very recent very recent park updates and like in the beginning when the parks did open, like no alcohol was allowed, for example. It all screams Mormon. Mm-hmm. And it's just so wholesome and family oriented that like every, almost every Mormon is a Disney fan. Like very much so. Yeah. I haven't met a Mormon who doesn't like Disney, like any facet of Disney. It doesn't matter if it's like, like anything that Disney puts out there. Like I have not met a single family that's Mormon that does not like Disney. Oh, yeah, they'll be like, oh, I never go to the parks, but it's like, they will watch all the movies. Yeah. Or things like that. Yeah, they everyone likes something about Disney. Yeah. I found some hilarious thoughts on Reddit. Yes. It's a thread called, why are Mormons so obsessed with everything Disney? And here are a couple of my favorite comments from this thread. That's so great. The first one is, I'm thinking maybe because a Disney movie and BYU Life are both similar. (gasps) You propose to someone within two hours of meeting them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. The second one is, you have the valiant, clean cut, and wholesome prince dedicated to finding his innocent, virginal, and loyal princess both overcoming the evils of the world and having a nice happily ever after ending. And as we all have come to realize, both Disney and Mormonism are fairy tales. <laughs> Love <Nice>. it. <laughs> and then the last one is, I'd guess the obsession is because it's high quality and Mormon clean entertainment. No flies in the Sunday there. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, I, I, oh, there's also, there are some like technically some weird religious connection. Okay. Um, because they've used a production company. It's like Nest or something. That's a company who made, who did the Swan Princess. Is Swan Princess Disney though? It's not, but I could have sworn Disney used their production system. Am I wrong? Oh. I'll have to look into this. I, I could I could be wrong. I could definitely be wrong. But I know Nest has also produced a lot of the Disney. Nope. A lot of the Mormon cartoons. So I know there's that connection. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just thinking Swan Princess. But I could have sworn they did something with Disney. I don't know. I'll look into that. So, well, it's also very interesting, though, how some people are, like, having issues with Disney now. Because Disney has definitely lightened some of their standards. Like we mentioned, beards are now allowed and tattoos are allowed, which, like, aren't very welcome on BYU campus or on the church in general. And they haven't outwardly done a lot of things, so they've hinted at some LGBTQ plus characters. And I think there are, like, technically one or two that they've essentially said. Um, there have been quite a few people who are like, okay, this is the first character. This is the first one. Um, I think that there's personally a few, 
but I don't think Disney has actually gone out and like publicly stated it, which is also now a hot topic with the don't say gay bill that is happening in Florida. So we've got people who are like boycotting it now and saying Disney's a terrible company. They're filled with pedophiles. There was a whole boycott, like not a riot. They were like 20 people in the street and like Burbank or something complaining about it with stupid signs. For anyone who does actually know what, what I'm talking about here is Florida is putting the don't say gay bill into law. Disney was giving money to the Republicans in office who were behind this. And everyone has been calling them out because you can't really hide that money too much. So everyone was calling out Disney. So Disney kind of stopped and they're like taking a pinch of responsibility. They said they're talking to the governor. The governor's, governor's being words I'm not going to say here. Um, and so because Disney is speaking up, up, speaking up about it, the Florida legislature now says that they're going to take away some of the freedoms that they've given Disney, which is funny because it's like the, if the Utah legislature tried to talk back to the church, Disney and the church are not the government and they'll claim that they aren't. They'll say, Hey, no, we have no connections, but they definitely do put money into certain things that will affect the government, the law and who is in power. Everybody in Florida knows that Disney runs Florida. Yeah. Disney is the largest private employer in the state of Florida. Disney employs the most people in the state of Florida. And if Disney ever decided to do something about that, to make all of those jobs suddenly disappear, do you really think that the government of Florida could do anything to change that or to make those jobs happen any other way? Absolutely not. There's no way. What Mickey Mouse says in the state of Florida happens. It is law. Like, mask mandates only really came into effect in Florida because the theme parks were like, yeah, um, we're requiring masks, so your move. Yes. So, it's very interesting to also, like, see that parallel because, like, I started thinking about this more as we were preparing for this episode. Like, there are some, like, weird similarities between the church in Utah and the Disney and Disney in Florida and everything. Like, you can kind of see, like, they do have power. They're not technically the government or anything, but... They're going to have a lot of say whether we realize it or not and what's going on. So, yeah, Disney is not Mormon, but it sure has those vibes to it. Yep. Although what would be really nice is that the way that Disney has been kind of theming some of their more recent movies about people learning from their mistakes and apologizing, that would be really nice if the church could learn that as well. And, uh, oop. Hint, hint, nut, nudge. And, uh, <laughs> no. Okay. So the next one is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it is a very common misconception that Chick-fil-A is owned or run by Mormons because it's closed on Sundays and it's owned by very devout Christians. I also read online in my research for this that whoever gets hired at Chick-fil-A has to be okay with Christian values including participating in prayer during management and training meetings. I did not know that. I did spend a summer working for Chick-fil-A a few years ago. We did not end up doing that, so that would definitely be up to the... Franchise owner. Yes, whoever wants to do that kind I'm of thing. I'm assuming that probably is more for, like, corporate. Also probably true. I did not have a lot of meetings, yeah. so... So, I'm sure if you work for, like, Chick-fil-A corporate, you probably do have to do prayer during those meetings, probably. but... Oh, I do that at my company now, and that's owned by another religious organization. So, so Chick-fil-A is not a Mormon company. It was actually founded by S. Truett Cathy, who was a devout Baptist. 
Also, it started in Atlanta, Georgia, so it's definitely not a cliche Mormon thing because Mormons weren't found outside of Utah until like 1975. So uh, <laughs> just mm-hmm. kidding, but um, but kind of seriously. <laughs> well, okay, so that so yeah, they are definitely yeah, it's Baptist uh, foundation, but they do have that very like Christian sandhold and everything. So yeah, they are closed on Sundays. Everybody knows that. And they've also taken a very hard stance against the LGBTQ plus community, which is also often considered as a Christian attribute. I'm not going to say value, um, attribute or dumb way of thinking. Yeah. So yeah, people could think it's a Mormon company because of how hard they go against the LGBTQ plus communities. I mean, honestly, like when I've, Okay, so the first time I think I had Chick-fil-A was in Utah when I was visiting Utah with family. And like the little bit I heard about them in the news was, yeah, they're closed on Sundays and they don't. And they fight against the LGBTQ plus community, like with all their funds and everything. And I was like, that definitely sounds Mormon to me. I had never heard of Chick-fil-A living in New Hampshire and growing up in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. The first time I encountered a Chick-fil-A was when I was a freshman in college in Virginia, and I went to a Chick-fil-A. Was it life-changing? I mean, the chicken nuggets were bomb. They are good. They they do really good with their chicken. I do like the food at Chick-fil-A, but I will be honest also, I have not eaten at a Chick-fil-A in over a year. I think I had one last year. Those, those spicy deluxes get me. I'm so sorry, but like... Actually, it might be more than a year. I think it's been since I moved to Connecticut. I haven't been to a Chick-fil-A since I moved up to Connecticut. So like 2020, I guess. The last time we met on the drive-thru, is that? Yeah. <laughs> last yeah, time. That might have been it. That might have been it, honestly. <laughs> That's great. Good times. But also like I learned how to make Chick-fil-A sauce myself. So I really don't need Chick-fil-A for anything anymore. I've definitely found some copycat recipes for the fried chicken that I do want to learn. That way I'm not spending money at a homophobic company. Um, mm-hmm. And I can like still have as much of it as I want to. Anyway, so yeah, Chick-fil-A was the other one. Sounds good. Okay, next one is Republicans. <laughs> You put this one up. I did. I, I did not collect any notes. It's just an opinion. But it, it's so true, though, because I did not realize until halfway through college, like, like I was 20, 21, when I realized you could also, like, be a Democrat and be LDS and, like, in good standing. Because when I heard about that, I was so shocked. Yeah. Political parties have changed throughout the years. We know this. We Like, we get that. But the way that Republicans have been set up for, like, the last, like, 50 to 75, 100 years, it's definitely very conservative. It's very with, like, a religious backing kind of thing. So, like, they're all about, like, the small government with a big religious background. Even if they're saying no church and state commingling, it's very much rooted in that wanting in God we trust on on our money, having the Ten Commandments in office and everything, controlling women's bodies and figuring out babies and everything, fighting against the LGBTQ plus community, and the list goes on. It very much pa- it very much matches with some of the standings that we've had in the church that have been policies and opinions, but not doctrine. Mm-hmm. So on my list, I literally just got it from the library yesterday, but I believe that you can learn a lot about this and how the church is actually like steered from being centered to joining the right is by reading Watchmen on the Tower, Ezra Taft Benson, and the Making of the Mormon Right, written by Matthew L. Harris. I have not read this, so you can only take my opinion so far, but I have read a lot and listened to a lot of people who have read this who've offered a lot of valuable insights on how it explains how Benson really brought the church from 
a centered standing and started pushing them right because of his own personal beliefs and everything. So they tied closely enough that the church is just kind of like taking that overall stance. Yeah. Mormons were Republican when I grew up. Yeah. And they still kind of are. Yeah. So just something to add to the list. Um, I'm not too sure about this one. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to build a broader label and just say musicals. No. Does that help? No. 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 I swear. Okay, so here's here's what I put on the list, you guys. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna need your guys' opinion and insights on this, okay? Fiddler on the roof. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It is about Eastern European Jews. I get this. I get it. My legit words in these notes are what how? It's literally about Eastern European <laughs> Jews. I need an explanation. Or do you mean it in the sense that, like, the sound of music is Mormon, even though it's a very <laughs> obvious Clearly, not about Mormons. Uh, <laughs> do you mean, like, okay. So, like, my understanding, <laughs> let me try to, like, wrap what I was thinking about this. Because okay. it's not, it cannot be musicals. As a, like, theater person, I am saying you cannot say musicals are a Mormon thing because there are so many musicals out there that are very not appropriate for Mormons and Mormons would die if they saw them. You won't find anyone doing kinky boots at a war talent show. Or hair. Yeah. Hair with the public nudity. (laughs) Okay, so The Sound of Music is, like, the most Mormon musical, even though it's about Catholics, because it's about... A family coming together, fighting against what's wrong. A very clear wrong. Yes. Taking a stand as a family. Basically. Showing that, like, love and choosing the right is, like, what's most important overall. And then, like, also showing that, like, your family is everything. Like, don't. With Julie Andrews. Oh, yeah. And Julie Andrews is like the thing. Yeah. So like, that's what I mean by like, and like every Mormon in the world has seen The Sound of Music. I thought, okay. It is the most Mormon musical So growing up and like, okay, so granted, I thought it was a homeschool thing, but then I started thinking about it because all, like half my roommates absolutely love this. And I had a ton of roommates, okay? I've had like 20 to 40. I lost count. But I've had a ton of roommates. They've all watched Fiddler on the Roof. They've all loved it. They would all sing it like all the time. I just feel like, I mean, maybe it's, like, where I grew up and where I went to school. So, like, California and Utah, like, Mormons were more into that then. I don't know. Oh, and Les Mis. Definitely not Les Mis. I mean, I know a lot of people who are into that. <laughs> Do they just not know that Fontaine is a prostitute? Do they no, just not they don't know think that? about that at all. No. No one would ever speak about that. But I had a roommate to watch it every semester. Lovely Ladies just doesn't no. exist in Mormon nope. Les Mis? Nope. Like. No, okay. I, I don't know how to explain. Okay, this. okay. So set aside lame is then, but definitely further on the roof and and sound of music. I will definitely add those. They're very clean. They're like very family oriented. Like they have the same principled idea of like taking care of each other, building families, and everything. Like it's super Mormon. It's so Mormon. I am going to apologize ahead of time for saying this. I just hate Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, I detest that. Musical. I did too growing up. I thought it was, I did not like it. And I saw it like at least three times. But I did see the production, the Broadway production, and it was phenomenal. It was beautiful. It was so good. I didn't understand it. I hate Fiddler on the Roof so much, mostly because 
anytime we had a substitute teacher in my band or chorus classes from literally sixth grade through 12th grade, we had to watch Fiddler on the Roof. And I was like, dear God, please kill me. I've seen this movie every month for like seven years. I can't do this anymore. Throw in a West Side story for crying out loud. Just give me anything but Fiddler on the Roof. I can't do this anymore. So it got like beat to death. And then like at least once a year, one of the surrounding schools would do Fiddler on the Roof as a production. So like not only did I have to see it every time we had a substitute, but I also had to go on these field trips where we would watch <laughs> Fiddler on the freaking roof. And I, if oh. I have to hear the song Sunrise Sunset one more time in my life, oh my I will kill myself. I am sorry. I hate that musical with every fiber of my <laughs> you don't hate it because of what it is you hate it because it's been so overdone in your life yes so that is fair though i that's only one of the reasons i didn't like it growing up and then it really annoyed me through college because everyone would sing that and then i didn't know all the songs still but everyone else would be seeing them and so it's just like you've got to get over this you guys there's so many more musicals i am like still very worn out from wicked because i mean yeah same yeah, I, I I get that. I don't know. It just it just has Mormon vibes to me. I know, and I do not mean to erase the Jewishness of this and the culture that it is supposed to exemplify and everything. I do not mean to do it that way. But to me, it's a very Mormon thing to be like, hey, we all want to watch something. Well, let's watch a musical. Okay, if it's not a Disney, it's going to be Fiddler on the Roof kind of thing. Because it does teach similar values that we have within the church. They have very similar values. Some people like the music, some people don't. So to me, it just has that kind of vibe that a lot of Mormons would definitely and do definitely enjoy it. So that's why I put it on the list. Oh, I would also like to point out, I was harassed my senior year of college by one of my friends in the theater department. He would do the Tevia shimmy and sing If I Were a Rich Man while shimmying his chest in my face anytime he saw me on campus. The hatred of Fiddler on the Roof runs deep <laughs> within me. I, I it burns bright. <laughs> and I'm sorry for anyone that loves it. I, I hate it so much. I don't hate it as much as I hate cats, but I hate it a lot. It is up there. Honestly, at this point in time, I think we're all very much obligated to hate cats if we didn't already. Cats is the reason we have this pandemic. <laughs> Amen. Listen, we didn't have a pandemic until they released that movie at the end of 2019. <laughs> I'm just saying. And then look oh. what happened. That show belongs in hell. Anyways. Moving on. <laughs> the next one is... <laughs> Jane Austen! <laughs> we, we love her. Everyone should know who she is. But for those who don't know that much about her or why she's on this list, giving you some background. Jane Austen was an English novelist who wrote novels based on the commentary of marriage and women's need for marriage to have any sense of stability or economic security. Her novels took place during the Regency era of the 18th century, which was a period during, like at the end of the 1700s and eight, early 1800s. It's actually very, very slim. 
Mm-hmm. A little bit of area. So it was called the Regency area because of King George III. He was unfit to rule due to an illness, and his son was ruling in his proxy as a prince regent. Um, basically, Bridgerton, just like Queen Charlotte, was not doing that. It was her son, but they had to make Bridgerton fun. Yeah. And so this era is very famously depicted in Bridgerton. It's, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, um, yeah, all of Jane Austen stuff, and a few others. So, fun things. I feel like Jane Austen is one of those authors that, like, every Mormon girl grows up reading and loving. It's like when you turn 12 and you enter Young Women, you're basically handed a copy of Pride and Prejudice when you're also given your first For the Strength of Youth pamphlet. (laughs) You just live and breathe Jane Austen. <laughs> I mean, I have lost count of how many times I have read Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I also feel like we grew up being hooked on it because the stories of romance that Jane Austen wrote were what we were being told to aspire to for like our futures at that time. I mean, it's probably the same for every generation, but like in the early to mid 2000s, that's what we were being taught was our ideal. Like, go to a dance, meet a boy, but don't be direct and talk to him until you've been introduced to him. And then you dance a few times with him. You spend time with him and his whole family. And then you're quickly engaged and you married and you live happily and chastely ever after. Like, that's what the Mormon dream is. And I just feel like that mirrors Jane Austen so closely. It does. It, <laughs> it does because yeah, you're not like not only are you like trying to focus on like getting married and doing all that stuff, but you're also like trying to avoid becoming like Charlotte Lucas, who is like, I'm twenty seven years old. I've got no money and no prospects. I'm already a burden to my parents I'm and I'm playing Elizabeth. I'm playing Listen, Linda, I played Charlotte Lucas at SVU. You did? That was my crowning glory. I was Charlotte Lucas, and it was magnificent. Beautiful. It was the only time I have ever auditioned for a role and said, this is the role I wanted, and that was the role I got. And it was (laughs) great. Nice. Love when that happens. So a little bit more about Jane Austen. So romance in Jane Austen books, and largely during the Regency era, was very different from what society today looks like and what society today expects. It's very much in line with LDS ideas of romance. (laughs) So from a Ranker article of February of 2022, I'm paraphrasing a bunch of quotes, says courtship during the Regency period was serious business. Finding a partner involved a series of practical and romantic considerations as well as a strict adherence to Regency courting etiquette. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Courting couples would continue to refer to one another through their correct formal forms of address. For example, Mr. Darcy, Miss Woodhouse, or Lord Bridgerton. When couples became officially engaged, they could refer to one another by their first names when out of the public eye. Unmarried men and women had to adhere to strict rules that governed their behavior with one another. Among them, couples shouldn't have private meetings with each other. A chaperone always had to be present. In an attempt to curb secret marriages and bigamy throughout the kingdom, Lord Hardwick pushed through the Marriage Act of 1753. This law required all weddings in England to go through the Church of England and proclamation of the marriage three Sundays in a row before the ceremony could happen. To communicate, Regency couples sent letters through the post. Love letters represented a serious 
stage in the courtship, when couples could declare their intentions and express their emotions in the written record. This practice also allowed couples to get to know each other better and to start to share their visions of the future. According to historian Sally Holloway, to correspond was to build a commitment before matrimony. Oh end my quote. goodness. Yep. Okay, so I have two thoughts on okay, this. Okay, bring them. Thought number one, right after you listen to this episode, you should go listen to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness because he just did an episode about the Regency period. And he goes in depth with a historian that specializes in the Regency period um, about courtship rules, etiquette, all of that stuff. So go back, listen to that episode. It is so funny and so informative. It's great. Okay, second thought. The more I thought about these rules, the more it sounds like dating when you're a teenager in the church. Yep. <laughs> because you're, okay, so a series of practical and romantic considerations as well as strict adherence to courting etiquette. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Yep. Yep. Number two, you're not allowed to be alone with one another. Yep. You had to go on group dates or you had to be on chaperoned dates. Can't be in a room alone with them. Nope. To communicate with one another like the writing letters to one another, this made me think of writing a guy on a mission. Oh my gosh, yeah. Expressing your like <sighs> commitment to them mm-hmm. for when they come home and your plans for the future. And it, and then ultimately just marrying the dude that you've been writing on his mission the whole time. And I just, I shudder at those thoughts. And I feel so seen by the Regency period. <laughs> so not only is this funny, but also terrifying because- <laughs> You can see how culture has changed. Time has changed how we've done dating through the eras because the Regency area was over by like 1830. Like eight. Yeah. 1830 was when it ended. That was 200 years ago. You guys dating has changed a lot, but not for the church. Literally the Regency period ended when the church was formed. (gasps) They were just like, let's actually take this back, Mm -hmm. you guys. And Mm -hmm. we're just going to use this forever. Forever. Well, also when you think about like when the bands were being read like three Sundays in a row. Okay, so that's like nearly a month. And like a lot of couples are like told to get married pretty quickly. So it's like mm, just a little bit of time. Although the one difference is that I noticed, this is actually in Jonathan Van Ness's podcast. Once again, getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness. Not that he needs more notoriety or plugs, but like I'm gonna give it to him because I love him. <laughs> Some of the courtships were like at least one year, but could be up to four years. Oh, really? I would have thought like one year at the most. Can you imagine courting a dude <laughs> in the Regency period for four years, <sighs> writing letters to one another, not touching one another ever, not even calling them by their first freaking yeah. name? I would kill myself. I would be like, no, no, we're done. Okay, so during the season, like if they did go to the season, then they could definitely get a letter sent back and forth like, you know, two to 24 hours, I'm assuming. But if you're out in the country, that's going to take longer. And from my understanding, letters, paper, I think it was paper or stamps. I don't remember which one was very expensive. No, I think it was paper. Paper was very expensive. So like I've seen like how some people would write letters and they like do crisscrossing and different inks and stuff on top of each other mm-hmm. and then like fold them over um, so that they could save on it. So like it doesn't mean you'd write all the time. You'd be writing when you could. I also learned from getting curious that most of the people would marry within their 
geographical area. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, guess, yeah. if you were one of those people that, like, we'll say Bridgerton, for example, if you went to the Ton for the season, you were local. Like, you, like, Bridgerton is technically, like, just the outskirts of London. Like, it's just, like, a couple blocks away. So, like, you were only dating London people. You were not, like, someone in the country coming into Bridgerton to find a husband or a wife. Like, you were a local. So, like, they wouldn't be spending too much money on post, but still, like... But it was expensive. I would go crazy. I would go crazy if I had to wait four years to call someone I'm dating by their first name. I would go nuts. I would be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just pulling down my dress here. <laughs> just like, no, I'm done. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's start a scandal, get married, and call oh, it good. Shotgun wedding police. We're alone in a room together. My reputation is tarnished. <laughs> I'm over it. Let's do this. <laughs> Might as well, honestly. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Gosh, moving on. Another great thing I grew up with. Country music. I grew up with country music too. Yes. Um, so I grew up like thinking like, okay, this is the right way to go because it's clean and it's got about like good values. It's about like, you know, living modest life and like hard working and everything. Based on some of the songs that we were listening to, other ones, yes, they're like, they are definitely raunchy. They're talking about like things. What country music were you listening to as a kid? Because nothing. Wholesome <laughs> songs, Tracy. Queen. We listen to the wholesome <laughs> ones, okay? There are many. Because <laughs> even like Reba and George Strait and like my boy Randy Travis saying about dirty stuff or drinking alcohol all the time. Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay, so here's the thing. With some of the content in country music, it is a little less obvious than you find in other things. So growing up, I didn't understand everything, but it was only in a few songs because we would listen to all the very wholesome ones because there was a lot of country songs we would not listen to because my mom would always change the radio and she's like, you can't listen to this one. It's not, it's not clean enough. And I was like, I don't even know what they're talking about, but okay. My mom was obsessed with country music. So like I grew up listening to all the old country singers. Yeah. And then as I got older, like country was really big in my town too, because I lived in the middle of freaking nowhere. Really? Okay. So like, you know, like 9-11 is where the country music really changed because of Toby Keith and all of those like pro-America people. And so when you said that country music was very like clean, I was like, I'm sorry, one of Toby Keith's songs is literally (laughs) whiskey for my men, beer for my horses. Yep. Brad Paisley has a song called Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Okay. Yeah, there's so many. I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is not clean. What were you listening to? There's a there's there's a lot. I can't. I literally cannot name any now because I have not listened to country music in so long. But I remember like looking at the parallels between the songs that are, that are dirty because there there are a lot of dirty ones. We were listening to two different genres of country music growing up. Hey, no, there's. There was Live Like You Were Dying. That was a clean one. Tim McGraw, yeah, that's true. So, yes, there were a ton, there were a ton of clean ones. But y'all missed the Red Ragtop song by Tim McGraw also, which is not a clean song. I can't, like, p- picture or name whatever 
that one. I haven't listened to it a long time. I've really tried to forget as much as possible. The only music, the only country music I want to accept now is anything by Shania Twain and Bo Burnham's. Um, what is what's that one called? I don't know. Pandering. It's called Pandering. If you guys have not listened to Bo Burnham's Pandering song, you need to. Is there definitely some raunchiness to it? Yes. I I listen to it all the time. It's just so great. I love it so much because he's talking. He's talking about how country mus- musicians today are pandering to their crowd, and he's like, "Yeah, like we've all owned like big ranches with horses. We can't ride, and we've got the cowboy boots on, but we won't let them get dirty because we don't really like dirt. Even though half my songs are about me getting dirty and like all these other things." I just thought of another country song that's inappropriate. It's called "She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy" by Kenny Chesney. Oh, I don't know that one. She thinks my tractor's sexy. It really turns her on. Nope. She's always staring at me while I'm chugging along. Crazy! I do not need to know more country songs. Okay. <laughs> no, I am just gonna say this too. Yes. Like in case. Luke ever listens to this episode <laughs> he'll be like she knows country music I haven't listened to country music since 2008 so literally anything pre-2008 I probably know anything post-2008 I don't got I don't know it anymore um Leon Rhymes she's the one who sings blue right mm-hmm. I can think of that one and I can nope it's fading it's fading. no I think it's George Strait it's the fast talking one about like him going to like a rodeo or a thing. And he's talking about a girl with like red lips, white skirt, tight skirt. There was a barbecue stain on my white t-shirt. Oh. She was killing me in that mini, mini skirt. skirt. Skipping skirt. rocks on the river by the railroad tracks. Yeah, that's Tim McGraw. Wait. She had a suntan line and red lipstick. I worked so hard for that first kiss. Okay. Hard, don't forget something like that. Yes, yeah. that is definitely a song, but that's not the song I was thinking of. <laughs> 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 They're just all the same. So <laughs> yeah, they all sound the same. He's like, he like wants to like. You said George Strait, right? I thought so. I can never, I can ever tell any other voices apart. He was he was like at a he was at a rodeo or a thing like and there's an auctioneer or something. Oh oh oh! Hold on, wait. I know what you're. It's not it's not George Strait though. Hold on. <laughs> These are such vague details, and yet we will find the song. It's called "Sold: The Grundy County Auction Incident" by John Michael Montgomery. I I would know the song. I grew up listening to it all the time. I never like thought about like what it meant or anything. And, and I, I said, said, hey, pretty lady, won't you give me a sign? I give anything to make you mine, I'll, mine. I'll do your bidding and be at your beck and call. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anyone looking so fine, man. I gotta have her, she's a one of a kind. I'm going once, I'm going twice. I'm sold to the lady in the second row. She's an eight, she's a nine, she's a ten. I know she's got ruby red lips, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I'm about to bid my yeah, song. <laughs> I hate it that I know every word of this song. Okay. Um, I... So I've never, I've just never been good at fast songs. So I always tried. So that's why it stuck in my mind. I'm just not, I'm not a singer. You guys, I can't. You hate it that I know every word of that song. I haven't heard it in like 15 years. And I just sing it all. You know, some of these songs, they just, they just stick with you. So (laughs) congratulations. (laughs) I'm keeping all of that in mind too. 
Um, and I can only sing country music with like a twangy kind of accent. I mean, that's I can't, the way you're supposed to do it. So. Can't sing it. Pandering. That's all it is. Okay, moving on. Why is country music so Mormonist? Okay, <laughs> so I put from an LDS Living article: Mormons who rock the country music scene. Okay, so it says how Nashville is brimming with talented Mormons. In this country music metropolis, a former bishop has written hit songs for stars like George Strait and Reba McIntyre. And a young woman president once shared the stage with Dolly Parton. Here, the close-knit LDS community uniquely intersects with a network of exceptional LDS musicians, including veteran songwriters, up-and-coming producers, and some of the hottest acts around. It also mentions and highlights Jason Deere, another successful LDS songwriter and producer who has written songs for acts like Lady Antebellum and Leanne Rimes. Despite being offered the opportunity to be a recording star himself, Deere chose to stay behind the scenes. As a result, he was instrumental in building the success of the group She Daisy, which was three young Mormon sisters, Kristen, Kelsey, and Cassidy Osborne, who moved from Utah to Nashville to pursue their dreams of stardom. How did I not know that She Daisy was Mormon? I don't know. I loved she really? Daisy. I freaking loved them growing up. How did I not know that they were Mormon? Girl, I don't know. I'm shocked. I don't know if I know any of their songs. Uh, I got you. Oh, I'm lo- I'm looking at some of the lists right now, and I honestly don't know. I swear, I listened to so much country music growing up, but honestly, like, I can't think of anything anymore. I'll share another one with you. Okay, go for it. You should know this one. This one's like their most famous one. Okay, it sounds familiar, but I never sung a song, sung along to it. Life is funny, life's a mess, sometimes a curse, sometimes a blessing. Don't worry about a thing, don't worry about it. Tracy. Sometimes you win, sometimes you're losing. No matter what it brings, don't worry about a thing. Okay, I'm done now. I'll stop. I gotta stop. Oh my gosh, that was great. Well, like their outfits and their makeup was like so 2000s. And so, oh my so gosh. Mormon, too. Like the later. How did I not see this? I'm I so don't know. <laughs> there's, I swear, like, seriously, Tracy, like, that's like, there's, there's definitely like a Mormon and country music thing here, okay? Oh my gosh. This is our Goodness. new podcast. We're going to play songs every week and see no. if Kaylee knows them while I sing along with them. Oh, in the my gosh. <laughs> oh. Okay, if you do older ones, then I I would know them, I'm sure. <laughs> I just... No guarantees. Okay. I started tuning out around the time they did Life is a Highway. <laughs> right when that group got big. Yeah. Rascal Flats. Yes. Rascal Flats. And that was, like, right around the peak where I... Went into my parents' bedroom and found all my dad's CDs from the 80s. And then I started listening to those and everything changed. ACDC, everything else I started listening to after that. You started so. listening to alternative rock from the 90s, Kaylee. Sure did. Wow. And everything. And, the, and then I like brought in the Beatles and did all the, all the big popular things from the 80s, 90s, and whatever. I don't know. So I loved country music way behind on a dirt road that I am not walking back My in. gosh. I am still in shock at how much garbage my brain has held on to after all of these years. Funniest little things, Tracy. How do I know all of the words to those two songs that we just played? 
and more that we've already talked about. They're still there. Girl. I don't know. One of these days, we'll do an episode where you just come up with the concepts of songs, and I try to figure out what they are. You'll find them, them. yeah. And then, yes, oh my god. Let us know if you'd be interested in hearing that, because this has been very entertaining so far, even though we've gone so far off topic. But Seriously. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Two more things about country music before we move on. Firstly, it's country music. That's kind of pretty much themed around the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt is is a region of the southern United States in which is typically socially conservative, Protestant, Christianity, and all that plays a very strong role in society, politics, and music. They just kind of interweave all of Christianity themes and everything. And I mean, overall, country music, it tends to include more mention of like love and God in a more positive manner than a lot of other music genres do. So pulled for I then I also pulled an article from Deseret from 2011, and they were talking about God and country music, despite all the drinking and cheating genre and how it's comfortable with religious themes. And so they noted how out of the top 60 country songs, 23 include at least one theme of family, faith, and or God, which you won't find in all music genres. They also note um, that they talk about like the willingness of country musicians to talk about God, family, and other topics counted among the most important in people's lives is considered aberrant in a lot of ways. Compared to other pop music genres, this strain of country is definitely eccentric, but like it's, it's grown a lot. It's very popular now. I don't know. The article just kind of like expanded a little bit more on how like, okay, like, yeah, it kind of stands out because like they aren't afraid to talk about that and they aren't afraid to like tie in such religious themes, but they do keep it very loose. So it could tie to any faith basically within the Bible belt, within the states and everything. So you do find a lot of people who are wanting to listen to more than just hymns and everything. And, you know, they're not going to let you listen to Panic at the Disco. They're going to be telling you to listen to a song about God on a dirt road, riding a pickup truck and... A tractor. Tractor. Whatever. <laughs> Any of those things. Riding a horse. And I mean, it's just like overall... And it's just that overall theme of like being like a man of God, having faith, making things work out for yourself, being hardworking, owning your own property and stuff. It just plays into a lot of themes a lot of the time of themes that are also instrumental within people's faith and religion so yes are there dirty country songs for sure there's definitely some violent ones Mm -hmm. okay one more thing which i did not do a lot of research on because it's fairly new thing and honestly this is still very niche but it is growing it is growing you guys soda drink and sweets shop places it's very okay it's also like very specific to utah granted because they're not really a thing like anywhere else at least not since the 1950s no but it's definitely like fast growing like they've been growing like i think they started in like 2010 ish and they've been growing um some of the major soda shop chains in utah include swig so delicious fizz with two eyes and a few others um they're all like projecting like aggressive growth and everything that i uh, pulled from an article so an owner of So Delicious says that they've got 25 shops so far and they're expecting to double within the next three years. Holy cow. Yeah, they are all over the place. Like, I'm not getting granted. I did go to Swig today because I do enjoy my soda a lot. And then they, it's usually just like soda and then like a snack, like cookies. 
maybe pretzel bites or something. It's usually like super sugary though. They'll do like variations with like energy drinks. Um, they'll do some frozen versions. Some of them are like including boba now. They are trying to get super niche and everything. I was reading an article and they're just like, yeah, that's like super cool. People can like make their own drinks and everything. Like it's very inventive. They were just trying to like make it not all about alcohol. Like really clearly try not to talk about that, which I just thought was like really funny. To me, like the whole point of this is to have like a fun drink place that's not alcohol because so much of the community here is Mormon and everything and Mormons don't drink. So they eat a ton of sugar. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see it working outside of like the Utah Mormon bubble because like literally my thought is can't you just go to a freestyle machine and like make your own drink that way? For the most part, but you can also get creams included in these because then, okay, so technically an Italian soda is just, wait, no, let me double check, let me double check. But then I think it's technically a French soda if there's a cream in it as well. The Italian and the French always confuses me because everyone calls things Italian sodas, but they're not always an Italian soda. I don't remember all the details. We'll worry about this later. I don't know. Maybe it's just, I, it just doesn't sound appealing to me. And maybe this is my East Coast talking, but I'm like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't see the point when I could go to a freestyle machine at the Wawa and get any drink I want. True. Like I could have the majority of the drink that I just had today because I had a stressful week, you guys, and I do love soda. Um, so I got a it's the drink is called Life's a Peach. It is Dr. Pepper with peach syrup. And, okay, it also includes vanilla and half and half. Ew. It is straight sugar, you guys. But it's really good. That sounds disgusting. But I also hate Dr. Pepper, so that's what? like another thing. Yeah. How dare you? How did I not know that? Unbelievable. Hate it. We will argue about this later. <laughs> <laughs> You've like sawed my way of thinking because I'm like, this is the best soda. No, it's not. They have variations of Mountain Dew and Coke and everything. There's a Wakiki Coke one, which is good with pineapple and coconut cream. So the basic version is, yeah, you just add a syrup, but you can also add creams that gives it a little bit more life and everything. And it's very nice. I don't want dairy in my soda. I'm good. That's fair. You you don't have to. You guys can eviscerate me in the comments <laughs> on this episode. It's fine. Oh my gosh. They might just... They might kill us both. All right. So the next one is vans like the car, not the shoe. So minivans, 15 passenger vans, and everything in between, I feel, are the most Mormon yet not Mormon thing out there. For sure. Who else gets vans besides vans, I guess? Like Mormons often call huge vans bmws big mormon wagons oh i forgot about that or mavs mormon assault vehicles in my home stake there were three types of bmws there was the traditional minivan which was usually an early 2000s dodge caravan there was the chevy astro van specifically of the late 90s early 2000s that was very specific that's extremely specific i don't know cars at all. They are minivans or big vans. And then there was also the 15 passenger van. So those are the three types of vans in my home stake. And I feel like vans always get the Mormon tag because Mormons traditionally have huge families and need gigantic family transportation. But vans are definitely not just a Mormon thing, nor were they invented by Mormons. So 
believe it or not, the first van was invented by Mercedes-Benz in 1896. It was meant to be a combination delivery vehicle and Mercedes continued creating vans for the purpose of delivering stuff. So they were like delivery trucks or delivery wagons. That's what they were used for. In the U.S., Vans weren't used as family vehicles until 1969 when Ford released the Econoline van, which was like a Frankenstein vehicle that combined parts from Ford F-Series pickup trucks, which I thought was really fascinating. And then in 1983, Chrysler Dodge released the Dodge Caravan right as they were about to permanently close. Like they were going through bankruptcy and they were failing as a company, but then they made the Dodge Caravan and it literally saved that company from ruin. Crazy. I should also note that the United States did not invent the van. The first real van that was ever used globally for families and not for commercial use was invented by Volkswagen, and that was the iconic VW bus in 1949. So a little van trivia for you there. I have nothing to add to that. That's It's very Mormonish. We've always... Actually, no, my parents did get rid of their minivan, and it's weird. They, can, they can't actually like fit their whole family in it anymore, in their cars anymore. All right, speaking of big families, the Duggar family is a family that I feel like screams Mormon but is not Mormon. They do. I totally thought when I first heard about them, and I did not follow them a lot on their show, but they definitely sound Mormon. They do. So like, okay, so the Duggars, if you guys don't know who the Duggars are, we're going to explain. For the longest time, when their TLC show came out in 2008, I thought they were Mormon. Their show was called 17 Kids and Counting. And then each season, they had to change the title because Michelle Duggar kept getting pregnant. that poor woman. So they became 18 Kids and Counting. And then they became 19 Kids and Counting. And then they stopped changing the title of the show because it was just getting out of hand. So they were like, you know what? Forget it. They had more than 19 kids? I think they had exactly 19, and then I think she might have tried for 20, but then, like, something else happened. Okay, so their family seemed Mormon right at the beginning because they had a huge family. The parents, Michelle and Jim Bob, those are their real names, openly talked about how they didn't use or really believe in birth control. I think that they actually got pregnant a few times at the very beginning of their marriage, while Michelle was on oral contraceptives, so they just like gave up on birth control entirely. They also discuss very openly their views of faith, prayer, purity, and modesty. So like that all screamed Mormon. Speaking of modesty, they all dressed super modestly. Like my sister and I used to joke that they dressed like sister wives because they would all wear those like long jean baggy skirts and like super non-fitting shirts yeah they also would not go to public swimming areas because they felt like it was too much of a modesty temptation issue for the kids were they kids Mm -hmm. i don't understand that way of thinking i don't what were they scared of i don't know okay okay sorry go on go on i don't so even further with the modesty and purity talks none of the kids were really allowed to date they practiced a thing called chaperoned courtship. No. Uh-huh. <gasps> this meant that if someone wanted to date one of the Duggars, they first had to ask Jim Bob for permission. 
And then they basically entered into an agreement that if they started a courtship, it was with the intention of marriage, not just getting to know someone. Oh my gosh. It was very Jane Austen Regency of them, honestly. I mean, to tie that in, yes, like the majority of all my friends in college, they all had, all the guys were asking the parents for permission and everything like that i think that's happening the majority of my family as well like oh it gets worse okay bring it then if they wanted to go on dates at least two of the siblings <gasps> and one of their parents or another relative uh, had to go on the date with them uh-uh. most of their dates were going to church or going to like the duggar home which is obviously filled with children running around all the time or to the other person's home, which also had a ton of people running around at the same time. Oh my gosh. Let's paint a picture of the courtship rules. I want to blow your mind, Kaylee. I am so uncomfortable (laughs) right now. Okay, go for it. Let's. Okay. In an article from Showbiz Cheat Sheet, it says, quote, courtships are relationships that a couple enters into with the intention of marriage. There is no casual dating allowed and the couple is not permitted to be alone together or have solo conversations during the courtship phase. There is also a strict moratorium on physical touch during the courting stage. Once they progress to engagement, Uh most are allowed to hold hands and engage in brief side hugs. Each couple saves their first kiss for their wedding day. No. End quote. Uh, see, here's the thing, though. Also, like, at, like, 14 years old, I definitely would have thought that was all appropriate and totally normal. And I cringe for myself. I cringe for everyone. I think this is very weird, personally. How are you getting to know a person? You're not getting to know them. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. And then, of course, <sighs> we learned in 2015 that Josh Duggar, oh. the eldest of the Duggar children, That's was right. accused of molesting minors, including four of his sisters, which led to the subsequent cancellation of the show. And then in 2021, he was officially charged and convicted of possession of child pornography. I'm just going to say this. Having crazy strict rules like this in your family does not prevent your family from having sexual deviancies if that's what you're concerned with. Sheltering them like this is not going to prevent that from happening. There have been several studies, and I was just listening to a piece about this the other day, about the more modest a society attempts to be, the more room there is for a scandal. And when you remove that whole thing, um, the concept of needing to hide body parts and certain desires and everything, the more normal that they seem, the more normal that people can act and like the less they're about to do anything wrong and like hurt people and stuff. I haven't talked about this enough to like have the like proper communication skills to like totally explain my thoughts here. Just like the more the more you try to silence everything about people and their desires, the more that they're still like they're still going to be tempted. That's not going to stop anything. What you need to do is better understand the situation, better understand the person, and like support them in however you can. Mm-hmm. All of this is just like super frustrating and stupid and problematic. I didn't know most of this. Yeah, anyways, moving on. This moves perfectly into our next one, which is no kissing until marriage. Mm -hmm. We know that as a faith community, Mormons believe in remaining sexually pure until marriage. 
meaning that we don't have sex until we're married. Some Christian faiths go to the extreme and they say that they won't even allow kissing until marriage. This made me think of another TLC show. In 2011, there was a TLC special. It only lasted two episodes. It was called The Virgin Diaries. What? Where they followed people who were quote-unquote older virgins. Some of them were like about to get married. Others were like older singles, like our age singles, and like just living their single life. One person actually was Mormon on this show. His name was Skippy. He lived in his mom's basement, Aww. and his mom was his wingman at YSA activities. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, okay, if you live with your family, that's fine. Like, I understand there's a myriad of reasons for doing that. I get that. I'm living with family right now. And I understand that parents can be super, that some parents can be very cool. However, using your parent as a wingman at activities for people not her age is weird and I don't know who would find comfort in that. Another couple in the show were getting ready to get married and they had never kissed. Their first kiss was after they said I do and they literally looked like two seagulls fighting over french fries. It was so painful oh to watch. The show was wild, but it was also fascinating because some people chose to not kiss until marriage because of their faith. And then others, it was because they made a commitment to themselves as kids to have their first kiss be when they got married. And then others were just very unlucky with love and they couldn't find anyone to kiss them. So, like, it was kind of fascinating okay. to see, like, the yeah. spectrum in this special. And I think it's important to point out to people who may not be Mormon that are listening to this episode that it's not a rule or a policy or anything for Mormons to not kiss until marriage. Technically, even the decision to abstain from sex until marriage is a personal choice. Like, yes, it's a commandment, but a lot of people don't follow that anyways. So it's all about choices and the choices that you make. Yeah, no, I had I had at least one college friend who did that. It was in my first year of college. And they were like, yeah, I'm not going to kiss anyone but the person I'm going to marry, which technically did happen. They met and married within like six months because, you know, Utah Mormon culture. Hello. Um, good for them. I think they're happy. And I remember being naive and thinking, okay, like, yeah, sure. Like, that's kind of cool. And then I've thought about it a lot more since. And I'm just like, that, that is kind of weird. And I don't know. You sh if you want, if you should want to practice, and you might as well go for it. Mm -hmm. Kissing is not that big of a commitment. No, I hear it's enjoyable. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit that I, I did not have my first kiss until I was twenty six, and that was a lot of by choice because I would go on a lot of really terrible dates in college and. These dudes had the audacity to try to kiss me after these horrible dates, and I would legit like dodge every single one of them and be like, nope, nope, skirt, skirt, I'm out of here, bye, got a blast. And so I would just leave. So like, I probably could have gotten that first kiss in college if I had been like, yeah, sure, I'll kiss this one. <laughs> but all of them were just uh -huh. not worth my time. So I was like, bye, y'all, oh I'm gosh. out. I so. love how like we're talking about all this stuff that we're like so weird. It's so funny because, yeah, I've only been kissed once. I don't really care to be kissed again. Like, I never wanted to. I 
I'm not a very like connective person in that way. Sure, I've been on a lot of dates, but I, I'm very, not only was I very naive, but I'm, I'm very asexual and like all the ways, like I, the more I like have studied up on it, the more I'm like, how did I not know this earlier? (laughs) Because it's so obvious in every part of my being. And I'm just, I have, I don't have those kind of connections with people. I don't understand it. I, I don't, I just think it's very funny. And it's awkward as Yes, I. It's already awkward having a first kiss with someone, like because you don't know like how you each work and where you move, and it's so awkward to have that first like any like the first kiss you have with any different person, like could be your first kiss ever, it could be your first kiss with another person. That first one is always really awkward and messy, so it's good to just like get it out of the way quickly. And not in front of a bunch of people. It's the happiest day of your life. And you're going to do something like that for the first time in front of a ton of people. And then you're going to get your picture taken? No. 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 There would be. Those seagull people from the TLC show should have been hiding in a rock cave somewhere (laughs) and not putting it on television. Honestly, if I'm going to do something in front of a lot of people, I like to practice as much as possible. That's it. That is personally the kind of human being I am. I need to prepare a lot mentally and physically for being in front of people. Breathing exercises, speaking, waving, whatever. So if I was kissing in front of people, I would need to practice. All right. We're gonna, we are gonna. can't keep talking about this forever. Um, <laughs> and it's making me uncomfortable now. So I'm done. <laughs> We're going to talk about something I like a lot more, even though I definitely don't want to be a part of it either. And that is MLMs. Yeah. Multi-level marketing. Bring it on. But not really because we don't want them and we don't support them. Okay, so we're not going to dive in too deep about this one because we are definitely doing an episode on MLMs in the future. Okay, we do. But honestly, like, there's a lot of MLMs kind of like connected to the Mormon culture. Let's let's be real. There's even some MLMs started by Mormons. They just kind of like fit that mold. Like, so for those who don't know, MLMs are the multi-level marketing companies or schemes where they use direct sales to recruit more salespeople to add to their through line. So basically, you will get recruited by someone who's like, here, I will sell you this product. And then you will sell this product to other people who will then join your team. And then you get more money when they bring in their money. It creates a pyramid. Mm -hmm. Um, A few popular examples of MLMs include Amway, LuLaRoe, Avon, Herbalife, Pampered Chef, and Mary Kay. According to a BYU study, Utah is the unofficial world capital of MLMs. Oh my god! Yep. Jane Drigg, CEO of the Better Business Bureau in Utah, said, Utah has less government intervention and regulation than most areas. This makes it easy for Utahns to start small businesses and grow them. MLMs gross $8.5 billion in Utah alone making it the second biggest industry in Utah behind tourism. Yeah. Crazy, right? I hate this so much. I had to put that in there for you because I was like, you need to know this, Kaylee. <laughs> I do. No wonder I hate being here so much. I And I mean, they and of course, like they do try to get to college town. So I almost got pulled into Herbalife. Almost. But one lesson I learned was you do not accept a job where you have to buy anything to get started. That's it. 
In an article by the Religion News Service titled 10 Reasons Mormons Dominate Multi-Level Marketing Companies, it said Mormons are comfortable with a hierarchical institution where people at the top know more than the people at the bottom and are paying money upstream. I know this may sound like a crude way of describing tithing, but looking at it from the outside, there are certain similarities. Additionally, Mormons are used to hearing testimonials and connecting that to deeper truth, while former missionaries are used to sales techniques. The article goes on to talk about how the church encourages women to stay at home, to take care of the family, and the MLMs are a great way for stay-at-home moms to do some work on their own and have extra cash coming into the home. Like, MLMs are very much set up for the stay-at-home mom, for sure. And then, I mean, you do have the the guys or the missionaries version, which is sales. Nope. Summer yeah, sales. Summer sales. Thank you. Yep. Pest control. Like, all the guys I was growing up with in college, they were they were doing that for their summers. Yep. Some of them brought in money and some did not. Pest control, security systems, and now solar. Solar yeah. sales are a big one, too. Yep. That's very true. If you guys have not watched the LuLaRoe documentary, you guys are seriously missing out. The The couple who started it are LDS. Mm-hmm. I, I passed so many headquarters for so many of them on a regular basis here. Like all the essential oils and everything. Like doTERRA or like yes. lip scents and all that other stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, they're all here. There are so many of them. Um, I mean, if you like the product and want to buy it, sure. But like getting rubbed up, in, we do not advise that. I cannot tell you how many people tried to invite me to join their LuLaRoe or LipSense parties on Facebook in like as soon as I came home from my mission. Like so many people. I was like, y'all, leave me alone. I don't buy any of this garbage. Like, well, see, like the thing is, I almost got tempted a few times because I'm like, yeah, like promises of money. As a college student, you're tempted to do almost anything because you will get the free food. You will go for the free t-shirts. Like to buy anything to get started in a downline, it's always a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, which I never had in college. Mm -mm. So I literally could not start. And there wasn't a guarantee of income, which I was not about to accept. So while being very naive, I'm very glad I had a few principles that saved me from losing anything. But they they really are they really are set up to be like, hey, do you want to earn a little bit of extra money while living your best life, and you can better take care of your family, and you can do all this? MLMs are set up and marketed in a way to for stay at home moms. Like you can think about like the Tupperware parties, like back in what the sixties. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much the same it's, thing. It's such a Mormon thing. Yeah. Goodness, but more on that another time, you guys. Yeah. So those are just a few of the things that we thought gave that vibe of being Mormon without actually being Mormon. Oddly enough, like a lot of these are deeply ingrained in the LDS culture and have almost taken a driver's seat in the culture of the church, at least for the U.S. side of the church, because we know that the church culture everywhere else in the world is different than what it's like in America. We're just a mess over here. We know that this list is imperfect and there are probably Many, many more things out there that seem Mormon but aren't. But this is a start for us. It was <laughs> so fun to research this episode. And obviously, it was even more fun for us to talk about it together <laughs> while we learned more things oh about stuff that we never thought we would be learning about. Like, I learned mm-hmm. so much about the history of the van that I didn't think I would ever learn <laughs> like, ever in my life. Not only that, but 
This all could help us gain a slightly better view of what the world thinks of when they think of members of the church, too. And when we understand what tropes, misconceptions, or ideas people have about us, we can see how we're better able to influence others and help them to understand who we are and how we're presenting ourselves to the world. So hopefully this will also help us to have more open conversations about who we are as a culture and who we are as individuals. We would love to know what you guys thought of all this. It was very amusing. So this is just our list for right now. If you guys have any more that you think that we miss, or if you disagree on any of them, like Fiddler on the Roof, please let us know. <laughs> we want to know your thoughts on this. Yes. And your favorite country song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Tell us. tell us your favorite country song. Oh, my gosh. Please tell us. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <sighs> but yeah, so we hope we hope you had fun today. We wanted something that's super chill today to talk about. Uh, we do have another fun episode lined up for next week. Yes. We can guarantee that you would not expect this episode to come out. So we are excited for it. It's going to be great, you guys. So stay tuned in for next week. And if you want to sign up for our book club on our Instagram and the rest of our social media and everything. Okay, guys? Yes. We are looking forward to everything that comes next. Yes. Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye.